What's going on, folks? Happy holidays from the East Village Times staff. This is episode number 131 of the East Village Times podcast with special guest Dan Zimborski. Dominic, how are you doing today? Uh, you got all your Christmas shopping done? You ready for, for the holiday season or what? No, I haven't done it. There, There's a deal I like at a certain store that I'm not going to give away because I want to make sure that people don't steal my <laughs> gift idea because I know that people listening to this podcast would be interested in that idea if that gives away any hints. Okay. And uh, I I need to get down there tomorrow morning, All get right. that done. But another thing, James, you need to say greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast to start us out today. So that was a little, yeah. was a little different, but I, I like know. it. I figured I might as well change things up. I've been doing that greetings East Village Times podcast for got 130 shows probably and maybe 128 of them have been that way so we're gonna try to change things up do things a little differently um i, I don't know just it's a new year or the new year's coming we're just gonna do do uh do some different things here at east village times with the podcast and with uh, the site so look forward to that uh it's awesome to talk to Zit, to dan dan's been a, a guest on the show quite often he's, he's a good friend of ours uh awesome mentor to, to the young journalists in our uh in our group. Uh, we're excited to have him on. Uh, so we will be back shortly with Mr. Dan Zimborski. Thank you folks for joining us on episode 131 of the EVT podcast. We're delighted to be joined so close to the holidays by uh, Santa Claus, if you will. Mr. Dan Zimborski is here to give us some zips projections. What's up, Dan? How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Is that a reference to my body shape? Because it is kind of Chris <laughs> Kringle-esque. No, it's it's a reference to the gift that you give every year around this time to. Okay, because you know, I think about the description of of uh, of the of the what was the Christmas thing with Santa Nick, you know, or Saint Nick. Yeah. It's not the twelve days of Christmas, the night before Christmas. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You know, with his red cheeks and his bowl, <laughs> his his bowl that his stomach that shook like a bowl of jelly. That's <laughs> it's it's kind of accurate. I mean, I don't really wear a lot of red because it makes me look like a big strawberry, but yeah. <laughs> There you go. It's a new a new image for you, right? For the for the 2021 season to. <laughs> uh, Dan, you know, give give us give some of the listeners a little idea of what the Zips projection is. You know, you and I have talked a few years about this. Uh, you've been we've been gracious enough to have uh, you've been gracious enough to come on the podcast and discuss the the Zips projection. But give us your just give us a synopsis of, of what Zips is for for those uh, people out there that might not be familiar with it. Well, the executive summary, because, you know, I could probably talk about this for an hour without taking a breath, uh, but Zips is a computer projection system. It essentially takes a player's past, attempts to establish a baseline based on their stats, based on certain advanced stats like that we can get from StatCast, things like that, basic characteristics of players. Uh, it tries to see where a player is going by comparing players to large cohorts of similar players in history so that, you know, plotting 35-year-old first baseman are, are compared to other one-dimensional first basemen and, you know, young fast center fielders are compared to other fast center fielders. 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is compared to a large cohort of players that's very different than from, say, Eric Hosmer's cohort. And then, you know, you get a very wide bar, a very wide, you know, cone of ignorance for the future. And you you try to plot the best kind of mid mid course so to speak i mean it works a lot like hurricane forecast you ever see the <laughs> the graphic where you see the little hurricane in the graphic and then this big massive cone that comes out and you know seven days later it could be like anywhere from one place to 700 miles a- a- apart from it or something that's kind of what projecting uh, a player is because i mean the future is very uncertain air bars are massive uh but you know we're, we're just trying to peer through that fog just a little bit because on some level, everybody who makes a decision in baseball is making a projection, whether they explicitly do that with a projection system or not. When you take Joe Schmo over Jack Schmo, you're making you know an implicit evaluation that Joe Schmo's projection is going to be better. Uh, so this is just trying to go about it in a fairly objective way as, as well as I have the ability to do. Yeah, and thank you for coming on, Dan. My question is, I've been very fascinated with this topic, is how heavily is the 2020 season being impacted into these projections because there was the weird double off season after spring training got shut down and, of course, a shortened 60-game season. So how heavily is that 60-game season being evaluated for players who either had a bad season or had a really good season? It's definitely the most recent season that will have the least impact on future projections of of any season in history. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guesswork involved because we haven't had a season quite like this one. Uh, We've had shortened seasons, but never this short, never for this precise reason. Uh, So it's hard to really, you know, get like a good idea of what the best path is for, for predicting it. We'll be able to kind of tell that in hindsight, but it doesn't really help me now, unfortunately. the approach I found that worked best for the strike years was to consider that they played the rest of the season and do an in-season projection for the missing games and then consider that a normal year. Now, obviously that in-season projection will have a lot more of previous years uh, in it than whatever the current year is. So when it comes down to it, 2020s, impact on a 2021 projection is about the same as 2018s uh, now. Uh, simply because 60 games versus 162. And that, of course, creates a problem for some players more than others because for minor league players, they largely, if they weren't on the 60-man pool, player pool, and got into the majors, they didn't really have a season. Uh, So there's, I think our projections for rookies are going to be worse than normal, and I don't think there's any way around that. I I wish there was. but it's it's a challenge that you know teams have to face. They get to look at the players, but it's not really the same as having you know a whole season of seeing a guy against say double A pictures or something. So it, baseball is you know pawing through the dark also here. And a concern I have for the twenty twenty one Padres is that some of the players who took massive steps forward in that short season are going to regress a bit, come back to the mean. Is there a player that sticks out to you on this? Padres 2021 team that could take a bit of a regression and come back to what they had been in previous years? I think one of my concerns would be Eric Hosmer and if he can continue to hit fly balls because you saw him in the first month or so of the season, he was hitting a lot of fly balls, fewer than than the 
fewer grounders than the usual from him. Uh, but if you actually tracked it over kind of a weighted average over like 20 games uh, that continually dropped as the season went on. And he had a lot more success with a fly ball heavy approach than in his usual one. So I'm kind of wondering how that, how that sticks going into 2021, because it's, it's easier to change than to keep up that change. Uh, I, we, I mean, how many diets have there been for New Year's resolutions that are on January 1st that aren't still diets on December 1st? I, I think that that's probably the biggest question for the Padres, simply because as a whole, the projections are quite optimistic about the team. Not to give any spoilers, or I guess I'm giving a spoiler, is that Zips pretty much thinks that the, the Padres are the second best team in the National League. And the only position that projects below two wins uh, uh, in the lineup is first base. So if Eric Hosmer can hit like he did is, uh, in 2020, all of a sudden there's no hole in the lineup. So uh, it, it, it's probably one of the more interesting questions going forward. Yeah, there's no doubt that he was a, a worm killer there for a while. And it's frustrating that a first base just wasn't lofting the ball and driving the ball. And it's still frustrating as a Padre fan seeing all the money invested into him at a position that's usually traditionally a offensive juggernaut. And he's, we're just not getting that outcome from him. So it's, it's definitely uh, something of concern for Padre fans, that's for sure. And at least the projection for him is closer to average than it was yeah. in previous years. I think yeah, what is it, one point four is that what it, is that what it is? Yeah, over over our projected depth chart, it was one point four WAR, which isn't really that far from average. Uh, I think Zips projected because you know Zips is kind of agnostic on playing time. Zips mm -hmm. projected five hundred and eighty one plate appearances and. I have him at 1.2, but I think the year before it was like negative 0.1. Yes. So, yes. you know, to bump that's, up your projection by a win and a half in a 60 yeah. game season, that's pretty good. And it yeah. shows progress because it's much better for your first baseman to not have a hit profile like Willie Mays Hayes, because exactly. he does, he does not hit like Mays and he does not run like Hayes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just drive the ball. Just drive the ball. Uh, let, let's move on to the, the, the player that everyone wants to see that everyone seems to want to talk about. That's Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, projected at a 6.6 .6, was slapped with the A-Rod com comp from Zips, which is kind of cool. Give us your thoughts on, on Mr. Tatis and what you've seen from afar from him. Oh, he's, he's simply the, the most valuable player in baseball uh, when you start figuring in contracts. And actually, in, in rest of career war, he has passed Mike Trout in, in zips. Wow. And it's not like Mike Trout is being lapped by a lot of people. Yeah. He's, I mean, yeah, he's 27, uh, but, uh, uh, Tati, but three players have passed Trout now in rest of career zips uh that's uh, uh tatis ronald acuna jr and juan soto and to be in that list is incredibly impressive yes. uh one of the i mean yeah it was a short season uh he had a terrific case to to be made for the uh mvp uh, I, I tend to think I probably still would have uh, voted for him as MVP, even if he didn't quite keep up that same pace the entire season. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing that I liked is his, there wasn't in, in, in 2019, you could rightly say, Hey, he had a 410 batting average on balls in play. And if that regresses, I mean, his numbers will come down somewhat, not enough to, you know, make him anything but an awesome player, but mm -hmm. You, you could see a step back in 2020, his batting average in balls and play, as you would expect, dropped a hundred points, 
but he s- improved on such a wide basis that it almost had no effect on his his bottom line on base percentage and slugging percentage and now it's on firmer ground actually zips actually thinks that his batting average and balls in play underperformed where it wow. should have been based on his hit data zips wow. thinks that he should have had been a 340 babbit guy okay. uh and if he could keep what he added this year and have a 340 babbit all of a sudden that is a scary player not that yeah. i mean he's already scary but that's that's trout level i think yeah yeah and, and especially playing a uh a vital defensive position like shortstop, which is just, you know, impressive as, as it is. And, and only 21. I mean, there's just Padre fans are certainly uh, just ecstatic with the future for Fernando Tatis Jr. That's for sure. Yeah. The A-Rod comp, he got the young A-Rod comp. That's the comp you want. Occasionally yeah. some players get <laughs> no, you, an you, aging you. third baseman, get the A-Rod comp. And you're like, okay, it's yeah, this guy is, he's good. And Alex Rodriguez was not a great player at this point, but he got, you know, not, he got Mariners A Rod yeah, as the, the comp. Early comp. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't happen. It's like when Juan Soto got a Ted Williams comp. It's like, yeah, yeah no minor. one gets this. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's stick on that theme because uh, Bob Gibson comp was given for uh, Denilson Lamette, and and you refer to that as an early Bob Gibson comp, which I mean isn't a bad thing, but there's you see the potential. He just needs to to polish it up a bit, right? Yeah, Lamette, uh, he's a player I've I've been talking up quite a bit. He was on my breakout pick list this year i one of the things about lamette is he came relatively late to actually pitching he mm-hmm. was you know he's not someone who's been pitching for 15 years uh and he was always kind of raw and his performance even as kind of a raw picture was pretty terrific you know before injury issues and he was pretty terrific this year uh and the bob gibson comp is pretty rare uh because one of the things that always happens is People forget there was more than one Bob Gibson. (laughs) And so there's always some random middle reliever who's kind of average-ish who gets compared to the Bob Gibson who pitched for the Brewers in the 80s. (laughs) Of course, someone always forgets it and says, why is this guy compared to Bob Gibson? So I actually changed that player's name in my database so that he actually comes up now as not that Bob Gibson, (laughs) along with other Frank Thomas and... I don't know which Alex Gonzalez this is. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the Alex Gonzalez thing is confusing. That always confused me. I mean, they played at the same same time. I got I got someone so mad at me. Uh, I was I was doing kind of a who's the first who's on first thing with them. I was say, I said I don't know who the good Alex Gonzalez is, and he's telling me no, this is the good Alex Gonzalez. Like I still don't see who the good Alex Gonzalez is, and he's trying to convince me that one Alex Gonzalez is the good one. And I'm pretending I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> it was kind of mean. Yeah. No wonder people get mad at me. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, people people get mad at you because they they think that they know everything, and then you bring out these metrics, and they don't quite understand them. So then they just go off their team biasy. But that's yeah. a whole other discussion. So yeah, I'm glad you guys uh, aren't Rocky fans. The Rockies, are, rock. So there's always some. They're not. They're not as upset right now. Uh, but Rockies fans for a period when they still had faith in their team were very angry with me all the time. (laughs) And they've realized that their, their front office isn't very good. So shout shout out to the Rockies. Social media team's great though. We'll give them that. A hot topic within the Padres community is the starting rotation. And part of that is the young prospects that the Padres have. And Mackenzie Gore projected at a 1.9 war, according to Zips, slightly below Murray Hone, 
and significantly above Patino, both guys who have made their appearances in the major league so far, but Mackenzie Gore hasn't. What did you make of how Gore didn't come up to the majors this year, got jumped by guys like Patino and Weathers, and did that impact their projections at all for 2021? It didn't really have a, a huge impact on their projections simply because none of them really had all that much playing time. I would have liked to see Gore, but the Padres were kind of in a different competitive position this year than in past seasons where it's a little harder to, to work someone like that in the lineup. I think if the Dodgers hadn't been in the division and the Padres were running away with it, or if the Padres had had a poor season, I think it's more likely we would have gotten to see more of Gore uh, or any of Gore. But that was a challenge this year because they were in a, in a serious pennant race, you know, serious. And it's, it's hard to audition guys during that. Uh, and that's, that's, it, that's one of the, you know, the downsides of not having a minor league season where you could normally see these guys in AAA. Uh, so it hurts teams with young pitching, uh, whether they're stars or even players they just need to look at. The Orioles are kind of in similar straits is they have a lot of high minors guys who are sort of good prospects that they really needed to look at, but they didn't have enough, you know, room to pitch everyone, even in a season that wasn't going to end in a, in a divisional victory. Uh, I'm, I'm still very optimistic about Gore. And I, I think the Padres are taking a very measured approach and I don't expect it to be as conservative in a normal year with a normal ish minor league season. Maybe I should say normal ish year. We don't really know that yet, yeah, really. uh, but I'm still crossing my fingers that it's not like last year. I don't think anything's going to be like last year. Could see it oh, trickle God, over hope... a little bit. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just waiting for my shot. I just, I want to go down to Walgreens and say, give, put all the science you have in my arm. <laughs> and then sticking on the starting pitching rotation for the San Diego Padres, there's been a lot of rumors around the Padres, Bauer, Snell, Gray, and even Darvish recently. Which of those four or some other starting pitcher do you think gives them a higher projection according to Zips if they were to add those guys to the starting rotation? Uh, I, I It would be close between Bauer and Darvish and slightly followed by Gray. I think that Gray is probably the most interesting for the Padres because uh, even though they're going to spend more aggressively than they did in the past, uh, I think that where they are, they look at some of their young talent and think, you know, they might want to focus more on locking some of them at long-term rather than investing the amount in either picking up Bauer or picking up Darvish's contract. Or, you know, there's always the possibility that you give the Cubs better prospects and the Cubs eat some of that money. Uh, but I think that Gray might be the best fit just for what the Padres are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, every everyone, everyone would help, I think. Uh, if you yeah. add a n- name like that and all of a sudden you – I think the Dodgers would still project slightly better, but it's getting really close at that point. Yeah, no, I, I think the only thing that scares me about Gray is Larry Rothschild and, and the interaction they had in the in New York, which is, I don't know, Padre fans are already kind of going that route and thinking that way, but I, I, they need pitching and they need they need to, someone in, up there. And, and obviously they're going to make an, a, a, an acquisition somewhere. Uh, do you think that we've seen the best of Trevor Bauer? Do you think that he can continue to evolve like he has been in the past few years? I think we've seen the best just simply because pictures are, are like that. Once you have a guy with a Cy Young season, you never really project him to do any better than that. Yeah. Uh, I think he's not that far from how he pitched this year. People will point at like some of his ERAs in the mid fours, but he always had a fit 
you know, around four or under four. Uh, he, I mean, he was in the American League, and he's he strikes out a lot more guys than he did in his early Indians days when he was came over from Arizona. I mean, he was striking out what eight batters a game off off the top of my head, and now last year he was like at twelve. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty big bump, and I know that strikeout rates have continued to increase in baseball, but that's that's significant. Mm-hmm. I know there's you know all sorts of conspiracy theories that he was mad about spin rate and 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 pictures cheating so he was doing it too to prove them wrong and i mean that's always going to be talked about but I, I i come from a family that has a lot of lawyers and i was always raised to believe i only know what i can prove and that yeah. kind of annoys people sometimes but that's just yeah. the approach i take to things well that's kind of just simple logic and, and people kind of <laughs> ignore that nowadays they kind of just think they know things and they kind of just say it and uh, it's just a society we live in right uh let's talk about closers Rosenthal and Yates are rumored to be of interest to the Padres. What kind of zips projection would uh, the relievers get with either pitcher? Uh, the, the the Yates projection is significantly better than the Rosenthal projection. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, when, when it comes down to it, I mean, Rosenthal was solid uh, in 2020, but he doesn't have the best health history. He did, you know, have a period where he went Mark Waller's uh, the yeah. year before. And even though he pitched much better, in, in, in 2020, uh, I, I think that the Padres are kind of in a more risk-averse position at this point where you d- might not want to try to discover that for yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be more comfortable having him. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, don't be any don't be interested or anything, but I, I, I do think that you don't necessarily want to bring him – you don't really want to use him in the highest leverage role as your plan A – uh, I think you can kind of see something similar with the Cubs and uh, Craig Kimbrell, which mm-hmm. Kimbrell can be a terrific closer, but you, do you really want to put your team's contending status on that? And that's <laughs> kind of the question that, that they have to ask. I, I think that's interesting because I mean, Yates did have that injury last year that sidelined him for basically the entire season. And as soon as he went down, the Potter's bullpen, you know, obviously these two things aren't correlated, but Padres bullpen got better after he went down. So, I you know, Yates does have a better track record recently than Rosenthal does. But either way, the Padres do need to add someone there. One thing that makes me feel better about Yates is he's not really – his stuff – I mean, he's not reliant on being able to throw, you know, 97. He doesn't – that's not really his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I tend to be a little more, uh, I guess – merciful is the word okay. <laughs> he's more likely to rebound from an injury is what you're trying to say yeah that's that's kind of my gut reaction with him and also you know i tend to kind of mark down 2020 injury injuries a little because of such a weird year having two spring trainings months apart kind of messed up everybody's conditioning to an extent mm-hmm. uh but but who knows i it, it, it could be someone that we're not even talking about that ends up there and last year, part of the reason the lineup got significantly better for the Potters was the young acquisitions of both Trent Grisham and Jake Cronenworth. Both are projected, according to Zips, to have an above a three war. And another hot topic within the Padres community was who should be the leadoff hitter for the San Diego Padres. And once Tatis moved out of that leadoff spot and into that two spot right in front of Andy Machado, the offense got better. And to me, two of the better leadoff candidates are Grisham and Cronenworth. 
do you think that role fits either player or do you think that uh, it could go either way, keep the Tisa Lee offer? It doesn't matter. The, the Padres are blessed because there are a lot of guys who would be suitable leadoff hitters. Um, what it comes down to for me is that there really isn't a huge amount of difference between the best possible lineup and just any old normal non-crazy lineup we're talking really only a handful of runs a year so when it comes down to i think i'm actually tend to side with uh where are players uh more comfortable uh corner where it's not a huge home run guy so my my inclination would actually be for him to lead off uh i don't think teams really care about leadoff hitters being speedsters anymore i think we've we've kind of outgrown that but I, I tend to think that Cronenworth would be my personal pick for leadoff, but there's probably, you know, four or five good options uh, that you really can't go too wrong with. Yeah, they, they, the Padres have options, and which is unusual for this team uh, if you're a fan of this franchise. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the evaluation of the Padres over the past few years. Like, like, in what regard? Uh, you mean just the the personnel, the the cha- I oh. mean, everyone knows that the camp Upton Myers deal in 2015 that kind of woke up uh, the national media, if you will, and then they, they regressed to a rebuilding team, and and they've gotten to this point now with a lot of young players and, and some key trades. Uh, you know, just kind of gush on, on the Padres, if you will, for, <laughs> for fans because they, they really don't get it very. They don't get. There's just. This has been a, a franchise that's been hurting for 50 years, so it, it's nice to have a future, and I think Padre fans would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm very happy how the rebuilding has gone. I've been, I've been, uh, even before they they hired my friend Dave Caraman because there's a kind of a bias in there, so I've known yeah. Dave for 25 years now. I when when they did kind of that weird offseason where they added things. I liked the idea of, you know, winning now and pushing. I didn't really like the execution of it. Uh, Some people who listening might remember I was a huge critic of the Matt Kemp trade. I thought it was a terrible idea. I I don't think that history has necessarily changed that. Uh, Kemp was not a good fit, uh, was declining and not just not very good. Uh, And I I was not a fan of the Myers three way. I liked it the least for the Rays. Uh, because I, I I did not understand one bit why they didn't just, you know, keep the good part of the package instead of flipping him for Sousa. <laughs> uh, I, that, 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 it perplexed me beyond belief that in a trade between the Rays and the Padres that involved Will Myers, that somehow the Nationals won that trade. It's like, how did they even get involved here? They it's snuck like, in. <laughs> it's like, it'd be weird it'd be like someone buys a pizza at a at a pizzeria and i walk out with most of their pizza it's like (laughs) not paying for it it's like what what happened here i i really i really wanted you know the rays to get trade turner and they they should have uh so so the padres don't get as much of my victory all there i i I have had some some people complain to me on twitter though because they're like We'll see when when Trey Turner proves to be as valuable as Will Myers. Because I was this was like only a couple of years ago. I said every GM in baseball would if they had Will Myers and could trade them for Trey Turner would do so. And they're like, no, they wouldn't. Like, yeah, yeah, they would absolutely. Are you crazy? Uh, and you know, there's there's not a lot of ways to tell people they're crazy without being rude about the whole thing. Uh, but 
I think since then it's been a very focused rebuild. After the the let's push forward and win now thing didn't work. They they did they didn't you know double down on on the problems and that that's an important thing because sometimes yeah. when you feel like you're in, invested in a certain plan and it's not working you know you double down. I think they accepted that the trade was over, the trades were over, the signings were over. You couldn't really undo them. Uh, let's see where we can go from here. And that that's kind of the way you have to approach it. I was not a fan of the Hosmer signing, as, as people know. I yeah. felt that, one, it was a little early, and I think you sign a, a star early. When they're an actual star, you can't develop. The, the Padres were not a contending team when they signed Manny Machado, but mm. there are limited opportunities to sign a Manny Machado. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't come along that often, and there was every reason to believe that Manny Machado would still be Manny Machado when the Padres were good again. You didn't have that with the Hosmer signing. Uh, Hosmer was not a star by any stretch of the imagination. Nobody was beating Uh, down his door either, right? I mean, nobody was. They were bidding with the Royals. And if you're bidding with the Royals, you should, you should wonder (laughs) why it's like, why is it just us and the Royals? I'm I'm uncomfortable now. Uh, (laughs) They should have been, they should have been uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, the Royals, I guess were saved by, by the Padres outbidding. I, I, I thought the, I thought the contract was terrible uh, yeah. uh, for the team's point of view. It's great for Hosmer's. Uh, yeah. People were trying to tell me that the opt out made it better for the Padres. I'm like, no, uh, yeah, a player a option does not make yeah. a player option is what players want, or players would demand that they don't have player exactly. options because, and that's not how it works at all. Because no. as I said, when Hosmer works out wonderfully. It's a five year contract. When it yes. works out terribly, it's an eight year contract. Exactly. He's not going to opt out after winning the MVP. He's going to opt out after hitting 220 and, and playing 50 games. And that's like what you mentioned, player yeah. options for players. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's going to, you know, keep the money when he's not hitting at all. Yeah. Uh, but if he thinks he can do better, he's going to do better. And if he can do better, it means that he was awesome. And you'd want to have him for three more yeah. years. Uh, so, I mean, it. I mean, it's a little beating a dead horse at this point, but it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of the elephant in the room, so to speak. It's hard not to talk about the team's planning without knowing that they still have Eric Hosmer for what five more years. Yeah, has it been I, three years already? Or I, th- it's, I think it's maybe this. I don't know. The no trade clock on, but I don't know if they can. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, yeah, three years. I can't. Th- two thousand twenty has kind of messed up my my uh, my my. My recognition of time, uh, it feels like things from like a year ago were like five years ago, like the Houston Astros uh, sign stealing and and all that. Oh, they got a year ago. They got bailed out big time by coronavirus. I mean, (laughs) yeah, that was a year ago. It feels like it was five years ago. Uh, I was trying to remember like instantly, like. Who won the World Series after the Nationals? This was like before the Dodgers had won. Like, oh no, that was just last year. This wasn't like five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you, Dan. I hear you. Uh, you know, let's let's keep on that theme of of 2020 and how it was bizarre. And and we saw the DH in the National League, which is something we might see permanently. Give me your thoughts on that, and whether it's just a, an old man complaining that pitchers are still hitting or what. People tend to be confused by my take because it seems like everybody's either very for the DH or very against the DH. And I never really had a particular preference uh, uh, for either style. Growing up in Baltimore with, with cable, I mean, we had we had pretty good baseball access. I mean, we had the Orioles. 
uh, we, we, and we, we had TBS, of course, for the Braves and our local Comcast or whatever it used to be called in the 80s in Baltimore. We still got, we got WWOR, so we had the Mets. We got WGN, so we had the Cubs. So I, I had, you know, it, it was no MLB TV, but, you know, being a kid who has access to all the home games of four teams is, is pretty good. So you get to see a wide variety of baseball. So I got to see a lot of TV baseball as a kid. Uh, and I was fine with both the DH and no DH. But I think that going to no DH or going to DH and no pictures hitting, excuse me, it was kind of inevitable uh, simply because baseball around the world has largely embraced the DH. And I think when you have daily interleague play, you kind of want to have a universal DH because it's a slight but real disadvantage for National League teams relative to AL teams because AL teams all have they mostly have full-time DHs or guys, or at least who play the majority of the games at DH. Uh, National League teams can't really do that. When interleague play was a new thing, and you know there were there were mismatched numbers of of teams in each league, the the DH the the DH the interleague play was limited to like you know two like two week stints. And NL teams could plan around that. They could have a quadruple A guy that they bring up for those uh, uh, games. Like Willie Mopena was was one of them. But -hmm. when you have a daily interleague play and there's always an interleague game and your interleague games are kind of just sprinkled consistently through the season, it gets harder to plan that because you can't really carry a full-time DH. And with large pitching staffs, you don't really have, you don't really have like, you know, pinch hitters the way you used to. There's there's no real Daryl Ward person just sitting at the end of those benches because you have, you know, 12 or 13 man pitching staffs and benches uh, for, you know, lineup for position players. It's pretty much these days, you know, the catcher, the outfielder who can play center field, uh, the, the guy who can play shortstop and maybe one other guy. Exactly. So you don't really have a DH type that the DH, the NL can, can, uh, have and what it comes down to is most pictures are terrible at, at at hitting even nl pictures so having nl pictures having pictures who can who have experienced hitting doesn't give you a big advantage over the al but the al teams in those in those games have a dh while the nl teams are using whoever they have on hand and i think that's that's kind of unfair from a competitive standpoint and as long as you're going to have that I, I think then you do need to have a universal DH and it's, it, 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 it's sad in a way, but I don't think when it comes down to it, watching the MLDH in 2020, I don't think the product was any worse because even if you take away kind of that strategizing, you know, with the bunting and the double shifting and you pull your picture, I think when it comes down to it, it it's the Bill James argument that, yeah, you had that decision, but when you have an actual hitter in there, you have lots of decisions to make with with that hitter and lots of things you can do. So it's it's not going to happen in, in 2021, it doesn't look like, but I would personally expect, I'd say, I guess, 75, 25, 4, that we'll have universal DH in 2022. And a guy that DH'd a lot for the San Diego Padres in 2020 was Tommy Pham when he wasn't out playing left field. And coming back from his injury, seen him play a ton. And even when he did play last year, wasn't fantastic. Now, that was in large part in a lot of people's eyes because of the injuries. But Zips projects him at a 
2.6 war for next year and has a very high OBP. Is the injuries a concern at all for Tommy Pham in your eyes, or is he going to return to part of the player that he was that the Potters really wanted to acquire? I, I'm not terribly worried. I, I don't think it was anything that that really had significant long-term consequences. Zips does predict a bounce back, and I'm with Zips on that. Uh, he has he has a pretty good history. Uh, Fam's, of course, terrific story. He's one of those guys who, who I mean, he was a real late bloomer, and it's it's nice that teams will give players like that more chances than they would uh, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I do have to say though that that Tommy Fam. Sue strip club after suffering catastrophic injuries is, <laughs> is one of my favorite headlines of 2020. Cause if you don't uh, know the story, you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's he's never, I don't think he's ever going to live that one down. Uh, yeah. That uh, was an unfortunate incident in, in, in a parking lot at a gentleman's club here in San Diego. What, what else can you say? Hey, in, um, in, in Baltimore, the best place to get pit beef uh, is a, is a place called chaps. Uh, a lot, a lot of people go there and chaps is a restaurant that's kind of in the parking lot of a strip club. (laughs) And, and the thing about Baltimore is that there's a relationship between the quality of the pit beef and how seedy the area around it is all, all good pit beef places are in kind of dodgy areas where you probably want to go during daylight hours. Like <laughs> where, where the where, where chaps is, they're in the parking lot of a strip club and in the intersection they're at has a, a pawn shop, an adult uh, video store uh, and uh, a bail bondsman. Nice. So the like, yeah. Oh, I know oh, that pit beef is going to be great. <laughs> the liquor store around the corner. What? <laughs> okay. Let, let's, let's, uh, I got a couple more for you before, before we let, before we let you go Dan, Thank you again for, for coming on the show. So, so close to the holiday season. Um, let's talk about Austin Adams, who zips seems to have a little bit of an infatuation with, uh, give, me, <laughs> give me your thoughts on him. Uh, a young right-handed uh, reliever who the Padres uh, obtained from the Mariners uh, this off season or this winter actually, or this season, this trade season, sorry. 2020 has got me messed up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God. I just stored my laugh. Like I was Urkel. Um <laughs> I uh, Austin Adams is, is a player that Zips has been infatuated with for a long time. Uh, I was, I, I, as, because of Zips, I, I, I really uh, got on the Nationals for, for, you know, basically just giving up on him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he, he's gotten, he had great results in the minors. He, he throws hard. And, you know, in, in 2019, when he was healthy, he struck out, you know, 15 guys per nine innings. That's pretty good, I think. Uh, he was terrific for the Mariners. Uh, and... I, I, I like that the Padres got him. He's a guy I could see as a closer if he's healthy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I don't know he's necessarily plan A, but he's he's got a he throws ninety five. He's got a terrific slider, mm-hmm. and in in uh, in um, with with Seattle, he threw that slider a lot when he was healthy. Yeah. Uh, literally, I think like two thirds of the pitches. I mean, he was up in in slider when he was up in Chaz Row territory or. Who am I thinking of? Oh, well, I forget. Uh, but <laughs> I, I I do like Adams a lot. Uh, he he was. I had to, you know, he's one of the reasons I made sure to switch Zips over to MLB AM uh, IDs, Major League Advanced, Major League Baseball Advanced Media, because there's two Austin Adamses, and I got and Zips would get them confused occasionally. The Austin Adami, uh, 
because there's he's Austin L. Adams. And there's also an Austin D. Adams. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's anyone who's doing any kind of statistical work, make sure you're using IDs that yeah. don't repeat because Austin yeah. Adams drove me nuts. The Chris Youngs sometimes did, but they were a little bit easier because, you know, one yeah. was a, a giant mega size picture and the other was, you know, a good center fielder. Yeah. Uh, there were two Jeff D'Amico's at the same time, as unlikely as that was. Really? Wow. Okay. I can remember one, but there was two. Yeah, there were there were two. Okay, there you go. <laughs> they got double the credit for 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 his, uh, his season in the baseball. You know, thank you again, Dan, for coming on. Uh, my last question for you is, you know, young Dominic, my my co-host here, is a journalism student at ASU. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to young journalists who are coming up and trying to get in a very competitive uh, market, which is journalism in in, in sports? I won't lie. It, it is tough out there. There's, there's no way around it. I would recommend young journalists, one, to be well-rounded. Don't just focus on journalism. Have secondary skills that you can bring to journalism. Yeah. I mean, I was not a journalism major. I was a mathematics major. And obviously, that's not what every journalist is going to do, but it's what I do, and it's something that I can bring. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, at this point, I'm, I'm one of the veterans of the sabermetric world, as, as weird as that seems to me. Uh, but it, I, I think you, you do want to bring those kind of things to the table. And it's good to have, you know, an independent voice. You want to have a niche. You want to see, you have to ask yourself, what do I do really, really well that other people don't? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of your key to, to being read as a journalist because they have to come to you for something. And it can be almost anything as long as you do it better and people want to read it. Uh, and so have a point of view go after what you're good at. And I think that's your best shot uh, uh, for a, a, a solid journalism career. Uh, now I should say in all disclosure is that it was, I, I kind of came into journalism at a time that it was easier to do. So uh, as I always say, um, I, I, you know, grew up around the sabermetrics uh, and I was, a, I was still a teenager when I got into the sabermetric community. Uh, I mean, I started working on zips when I was in my uh, early twenties uh, and at that point, I mean, I always say that the reason I got em- that I became employable was because, you know, I hung around a lot of smart people in the 90s and and people confused that with me being smart. And that, that's kind of <laughs> how it worked out. So it was easier for me simply because there wasn't as much of, a, of an Internet baseball landscape. Uh, but I, I do think for interesting, independent voices, there's always going to be a role. Uh, but you you have to be flexible because yes. the jobs are a little variable at the moment. Yes, for sure. Definitely. I appreciate the v- advice. And Dan, we appreciate you coming on to our podcast. This is Dan Simborski. You can find him on Twitter at D Simborski. That is D S Z Y M B O R S K I. Don't want to misspell that because it's a lot of letters. It is. (laughs) And none of them make sense. You if you if you read your name, if I read my name slowly, people are like, are you serious? Like S Z Y M? Do Y's go before M's and B's? (laughs) (laughs) It's unique. It's unique. Well, anyway, thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. We'll do it again next time, next year. For sure. Thank you, Dan. Have a great day. And again, thank you. Happy holidays, man. Happy holidays. Welcome back to episode 131 of the East Village Times podcast. I'm Dominic Stern, joined as always by my host, James Clark. That was our conversation with Dan Samborski of Fangraphs and Zips. 
fantastic conversation. He likes the Padres. Very optimistic about their future. He said they got him second best team in the National League. I'm not. I'm not quite sure they're better than the Braves, but I'll take it. Yeah. No, it's definitely a favorable uh, evaluation for the Padres, and it's great to to talk to Dan. Who you know, we talked to Dan immediately after the Kemp trades and after all the the, the Meyer trade in, in, in 2015, and he was quite honest uh, then, and he's quite honest now. He's a straight shooter, and, and I love that. And once again, I always say this, it's important to get evaluation from outside outlets not that don't have any rooting interest in the Padres, aren't San Diegans, could care less. They, they give you an honest opinion of what's wrong with this team and what needs to be improved. I love the, the comments on Hosmer. I love the, the comments on, on you know, Lamette. It's just great to talk to Dan. He's he's a straight shooter, and and it's awesome that you know he extended the olive branch out to to Dominic, and 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 you know if he ever needed anything, and that just shows what kind of a person Mister Zimborski really is. Yeah, no, that was cool, and I I personally never got him to talk to him before, and uh, he gives some pretty solid advice that I definitely hear a lot at school. So it's good to hear yeah. that they're not just spewing BS to us when we're giving them thousands of dollars. So that yeah. that's certainly good to hear. Uh, Definitely appreciate all the advice that we get because very well aware of the situation that we're going into and all the people that I listen to that are higher ups that have made it successfully into that business. You definitely like to hear their tips and tricks and advice for becoming a sports journalist. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, and the stuff he's done with Zips, I mean, he's pretty modest about what he's created and what he does uh, for analytics and for baseball, but he's he's a big name out there and really does a lot for the sport. And I mean, the Zips projections are awesome. And look, looking over some of the Padres' Zips projections, they're, they're just so nice. It's just nice to see Tatis with a 6.6, Machado with a 4.8, Grissom at 3.3, Gronenworth at 3. I mean, those are solid war numbers, and, and we look forward to the 2021 season Hopefully they can deliver on, on, on the, the promise and the evaluation that was given them. Yeah. And he, I like to see that Zips is a big Grisham guy. Cause I certainly know I'm a big Grisham guy. Uh, I have been ever since that trade and I, I loved watching him do his work at the plate. He's such a controlled hitter at the plates, him and Cronenworth both. Uh, obviously yeah. I knew more about Grisham going into the season than I did about Cronenworth and obviously love Cronenworth now. So Good to see that those guys are taking too many steps back from their shortened 60-game season, especially that last month from Cronenworth. And even Grisham certainly weren't encouraging months at all, but those two guys seem to be a big part of the Padres' future. Controlled contracts for a long time, as they were in their first and second years, respectively. So, love to see that. Yeah, definitely. I found it interesting, the argument he made for and against Yates and Rosenthal. It was interesting to hear his criticism of Rosenthal, which you really don't get a lot of. I think Padre fans see all the interaction with him on Twitter and the Lolitas and, and the fact that he was dominant next last year and automatically say, give him the money, give him the money. And it's nice to hear Dan give a little bit of criticism, give a little bit of reality check, if you will, on the future of the Padres relief course. So yeah, it's just it's just nice to talk to Dan and, and get his opinion for sure. And it was one of those things, like you mentioned like a couple of minutes ago, he's that unbiased opinion, not exactly. from San Diego. Exactly. So he gives you that perspective as well. I personally don't agree with him on that. And that's yeah. not, that's not because I love Rosenthal or anything. It's not because I don't like Yates. 
Rosenthal was healthy last year. Yates was not. So yeah. that that's my opinion on it. He's a smarter baseball mind than I am. So, but I can't always agree with everyone yeah. on everything. You you just got to register something like, like that in the back of your mind and kind of think about it. And, and, and it, the reality is Rosenthal has been up and down and, you know, we saw a dominant performance out of him last year. Perhaps Dan didn't see that quite as much, so he doesn't necessarily know how well he was thrown. It's it's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to to factor in the equation here, but it's still awesome and, and fantastic to hear an outsider's opinion of a player for sure. But at the same time, Yates wasn't very good before he became a Padre exactly. in in twenty eighteen twenty seventeen. So it goes both ways, and yeah. that's what's so hard about being a general manager is there's no proper way to do things. No. There's no proper way. There's no perfect signing at the signing. So we'll see about these guys. Cause I, the Potters definitely need to add to the bullpen just a little bit. It's still going to be a strength like it was last year, but those two guys are, I'd imagine one of them comes back, maybe both. Yeah. Well, we're hearing Darvish rumors today. We're hearing, uh, you know, gray rumors. They're still moving and shaking so, going on with San Diego Padres. So it, it there could be a holiday present left under the gift of, of Padre fans uh, this season. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, awesome show. Happy holidays to all you listeners out there. And thank you so much for the support. Uh, Dominic, go ahead and, and take us out of here. I think we've, uh, we've done, uh, done well with this episode. Yes, this has been episode 131 of the East Village Times Potters podcast. I'm Dominic Stern. You can find me on Twitter at DMStern19 to see my Padre stuff and just my other sports stuff as well. Follow James at EVT underscore J Clark to see all of his stuff as well as the articles that he posts. Follow us at EVT podcast to know when we do post our podcast and any other clips. If we do involve video, this podcast was not done on video, so you won't be seeing that. And also make sure to follow us at EVT underscore news to find out whenever we do post our articles on eastvillagetimes.com as this is the East Village Times podcast. A lot of good Padre stuff. A lot of good Aztec stuff and some loyal stuff as the loyal season will be coming around shortly. So make sure to stay intact with us on that. We thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you guys next week on episode 132. Thank you for tuning in. Go Padres. Have a happy holidays.